Good morning again. We will be looking this morning at 1 Corinthians 15. We are nearing the end of the series. Uh, we will, there's only 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians. We will have three sermons from this chapter. Um, and this week we'll be looking at verses 1 to 11. Uh, as you know, and maybe you haven't been here or you're new or you just kind of tuned me out, uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter of a messy church, right? And they have a lot of problems. And Paul has been very patient with them throughout the letter, at times exhorting them and putting up with some of their questions, at other times addressing things they didn't ask him about but that needed to be addressed. And now finally at the very end he's saying, look, here is the point. Here is what matters. Here is how you should walk and live and grow in the gospel. Okay? And he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And he spends this entire chapter looking at the resurrection. And I just want to ask you a question as you head in toward this week and in general in your daily lives. How important is the resurrection in your daily life? I mean, that's really what Paul is getting at for the Corinthians. And I think for us, it's a good question. As we face the highs and the lows and the middles of our lives, how much is the resurrection of Jesus guiding us moving us, important to us. Have that on your mind as we look at these verses together. Starting in verse 1 of 15, we'll go through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, indeed, you sent your Son. And Jesus, indeed, you lived a perfect, unblemished life and died for our sins and rose again. And Lord, obviously, more than just once a year, we want to dwell on the resurrection. But I pray, Holy Spirit, this morning you would help us to better understand the power and the importance of the resurrection as we move into this week. I pray this morning that your gospel would be clear. In your name we pray. Amen. So as bad as the time I give, as I give the Corinthians, they were, they were the good guys. And here, here's what I mean. They, they wanted to be holy. They wanted to be righteous. They wanted to walk with Jesus. They were interacting with Paul and writing letters, asking these difficult questions about worship and spiritual gifts and marriage and cultural issues like food sacrifice to idols. Uh, especially the last few chapters dealing with spiritual giftedness, they wanted to be powerful, strong, exciting Christians. So I don't want to give them a hard time. 
I think a lot of us don't ask those questions. On the other hand, what Paul is reminding them of is of this, that they didn't do those things most of the time for the glory of God. They didn't do those things based on the resurrection. In other words, the gospel wasn't guiding them in all the reasons they wanted to do those things. And so the question I have for you is, why do you want to be a Christian? Why do you want to grow in your Christianity? When you think about your faith and the ways you kind of wish you would grow or are passionately pursuing, what is it that is driving you in that growth? Is it the gospel? Paul says, remember the gospel that I preached to you. And what he is saying is this, and here's what we're going to look at this morning. The way you grow in the Christian life is the way you come to the Christian life, the gospel. You come to the Christian life through Christ. And in this case, we're going to look at the resurrected Christ. That is the gospel. We're going to unpack that. And we're going to look at what that means and hopefully have a better understanding uh, as we look at the rest of this passage next week of what it would look like to live the life of a resurrected believer, one who follows Christ, one who believes that he really rose from the dead. So the first thing we're going to do is look at the content of the gospel. Um, Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And I'm going to drop to verse 3. And he gives us a definition of that gospel. He says, For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received. Those are words very similar to what he said in 11 when he re-reminds uh, re- them of the Lord's Supper, right? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And then he tells them about the Lord's Supper. This is Paul's way of saying, here, are, here is the exact gospel that the Spirit has called me to preach to you. Here it is. I proclaimed this to you in the beginning and I'm re-proclaiming it to you now. And here is what he says. Verse 3. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he goes on to the appearances, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the Gospel really resides in the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. I would love a show of hands if you've never heard that message. I wish there would be just one person who's like, I've never heard that. Unfortunately, we live in a, not unfortunately, but we do live in a world where that message is so talked about that it sometimes loses its power. And I hope a little bit this morning the Spirit will open our eyes to the beauty and the reality of that message. He says several, two times that in accordance with Scripture. I want to remind us of Isaiah 53, where most commentators think Paul is thinking of for part of this gospel presentation. Isaiah 53, surely he, Jesus, was born, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. In the gospel, you have peace because Jesus took on your sin, past present, and future. And Isaiah is prophesying about this, and he says, and with with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, onto Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Dead. Christ was dead. Christ was buried. Psalm 16. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And Hosea 6 pictures the resurrection. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. So that the scriptures 
prophesied and talked about a coming Messiah that would do these things. This is the content of the gospel. Um, and that is what Paul delivered to the Corinthians. And the question then is, is this what's driving your excitement? Probably not. Not every day. Um, what helped me recently, and I mentioned this last week, I just want to remind ourselves of this, is the movie Risen. Because I didn't expect it. Sometimes I get, not cynical, but just thinking, well, I've, I know the story. This will just be another example. But that moment, that scene where the soldier, the Roman soldier, who's trying to find a corpse, he's trying to find a dead body to show that the Christian movement is just a farce. And he comes around the corner and he sees Jesus talking to his disciples in the upper room. And in that moment, if you're watching the movie, that's like the very first time you see that actor who's playing Jesus alive. The last time you saw him was on the cross. And it really had a great effect because it helped me to think, what would that be like to have seen Jesus alive? Like the disciples were enjoying his presence. They were communing with him. They were having fun with him as he is raised from the dead. I think sometimes we have a tough time thinking about the resurrection in those terms. Um, Paul goes on to explain something that's really important, and that is the, the details of who Saul. He starts with Cephas, Peter, right? First he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. Verse 6, then he appeared to 500 people. 500 people at different points saw, or at one point saw Jesus, many of whom at the writing of this letter have already passed away. Paul is not just simply saying, look it up, it's true. In fact, most commentaries agree, this is stuff the Corinthians agreed with. Later, next week, you'll see they have some, some interesting views on the resurrection, but they actually believe this. Paul is just reminding them. It's almost a confession, of, uh, like an, a creed. of this is, this is the truth, that Jesus really did walk around. He actually was there in their midst. Then he says, then he appeared in verse 7 to James, and then to all the apostles. Um, that is, an, I remember when I first read that, I thought, why would he repeat that? Did any of you think that? Why would he repeat that Jesus, um, who already appeared to the twelve, appeared to James and all the apostles? And, and most commentators say he's alluding to the ascension. That when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and appeared to Peter and the twelve, he was on the earth for 40 days, and then he ascends. And I want to show you from Luke 24 that story. Luke says, then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And you have this sense of like, ah, oh, it's over. Like that was a wonderful time that off and on for 40 days, we kind of got glimpses of Jesus. And now he's up in heaven and we can't see him. Does anyone feel that way? Let's listen to the next verse in Luke. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great, joy. So for them, the ascension was not the ending, it was the beginning. It was the message that Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered the grave once and for all. This is not like Lazarus who would later die again. Jesus changed fundamentally the universal norm that everybody that's born will die. In the garden, everything was perfect. There's a fall. And from that moment on, we have one remedy we need, a Savior who can conquer death. And once that happens, hallelujah. And we have that Savior. And that is the gospel we have received. And Paul says that I delivered to you, of first importance, this message. And so that 
is the content of the gospel, but I want to now talk about the remembering of the gospel. He gives us in verses 2 and 3 three things that we're supposed to do. First of all, you're supposed to receive it. He says the, the message that you received. And the, and the question I would ask you is, have you received that message? He's not saying it, you heard it like a fable. That was my exact next thought. <laughs> hey, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. My dad was here, and his phone rang, and it plays Boomer Sooner. So that really happened right here, and it was not on purpose, at least from my perspective. That was a good moment. We needed to laugh anyway, right? It's going to kind of, have you received that gospel? Uh, Paul says three things, which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, and by which you are being saved. For Paul, he's, he's not saying you have this gospel you received, and then you stand by following rules and the law and getting things in order, and that's what eventually will save you. Rather, it's still the gospel. The message you received, Jesus Christ was dead for your sins, buried, and raised again, which Paul would include the ascension, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. That's the gospel. That's what you received. Is that what you're standing in? Uh, many of you have heard of the, of the theological term justification by faith. Right, we place a huge emphasis on that. You are justified not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And so often the concern that I have for my soul and for many of ours is that we reverse how justification works and we begin to look at our standing, not on the gospel that Paul just delivered again and had delivered in the past, but on my productivity, on the way I feel. On, on how well I'm doing spiritually. I want to read you a few lines from Richard Lovelace on justification. He says, Only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating justification by faith. And he goes on to explain there's really two deviations from it. One is a, is a tendency to downplay God's holiness and say, hey, I have grace, I can do whatever I want. And, he, and we call it cheap grace. Bonhoeffer coined that term, uh, but others have picked it up. The other side is to rely um, on your works, legalism, and to, and to not downplay the holiness of God, but to really give lip service to your sin and begin to act like, you know, I'm sinful because that's what good Reformed people say, right? We know we're really sinful, but really I don't believe that. In fact, if you look at my conduct and my life, I've got it together. And both are deviating from that central truth of the gospel of justification. And here's what he says, that people who do either of those deviations below the surface are deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. And so as you think about this message and you think about your life, I think there's often a huge disconnect, right? You've got Jesus, the resurrection, what we're celebrating at Easter and in the, in the beginning of it, Palm Sunday, and then you've got all of your problems, all the things you're dealing with all the underlying issues that you've got going on. And what I hope that you'll see is every one of those issues is connected to this message. That if Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead and he is your Savior, then you would never feel the way you feel when someone doesn't like a comment on Facebook. Right? When someone snubs you that you thought was your friend, when you don't get an invite to that party, whatever the situation is, we can become crushed 
because we're standing on something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so for Paul, he is saying, listen, Corinthians, you guys are actively wanting religion, and that's good, but you aren't standing on the gospel. You're standing on everything else, which ultimately resides in you being a good person that you hope will then prove you're justified by faith. And we reverse it. And I think that's the number one issue in Christianity in the modern, messy American church, is that those of you that are trying it and trying to really walk solidly are basing your justification, your standing with Christ, on your performance. And for others of you, it's simply, hey, I've heard the gospel, I believe in the gospel, and I love Jesus, and you're basing your standing on a form of cheap grace. But what, what Paul is telling us to do is to base our entire identity on the person of Jesus Christ has risen and real and in your life. So, as I move in, I want to move into the third point as really an example of this, and that's Paul. Paul spends the better part of this passage on his own story. He says, um, so let me just re- make sure I recap if you take points. Some of you take notes. Point one was the content of the gospel, okay? Christ is risen, or excuse me, Christ was uh, dead for your sins, buried and risen. The second point is dealing with receiving the gospel, standing in the gospel, and then growing in the gospel. Okay, Growing, uh, being saved, the process of sanctification in the gospel. And then Paul gives him his own biographical point on what it looks like to be a recipient of that gospel. So that's the third point. And here's what he says. Verse 8, Last of all, he's gone through all the people Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. As to one untimely born... He appeared also to me. What Paul means by that is, when I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and when I became a Christian, I realized that I wish I had lived like the other apostles in the presence of Jesus. Right? Often we read the Bible and we think, wouldn't it have been amazing to have been there and hearing his words? And Paul longed for that as well. Jesus himself tells Thomas and others, you know, you, you see and struggle to believe. What about all those who don't see me and will believe? Paul's one of those. Paul never saw Jesus before his crucifixion. He was untimely born. And he goes on, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. This is an illustration of the gospel. Let me, every week I come up here and I preach a sermon unless I'm off those weeks. And those weeks I'm like, ah. Oh, but I actually really enjoy this. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, maybe you do sometimes. But I have to be honest, and I, and I remember hearing a, a friend of mine preach at chapel say this, so don't, I'm not trying to be self-deprecation. You don't need to come afterward and go, we like you. But it's really hard to get in front of people because of my flesh. My flesh wants you to think he's really good, he knows his stuff, he's got it together, he's prepared. And, and then afterwards, I, I want so badly to not care. But like sometimes Emily and I will drive separate cars and I just can't wait to finally go, how was it? Was it okay? And I, and I try to do it more mature, you know. Maybe I'll wait a little while. But eventually she knows it's time to tell Ryan how he did. And, and it's like, the, if, you, if I did good, it's just like, I'm the man. Like awesome. And like everything just goes great. Okay. Paul is writing to a group who doubt him. 
Paul planted this church. We saw that in Acts 18. Paul um, has heard a report. Remember we talked about this weird, on one hand, he got a letter from the Corinthians that he's responding to, but interposed in his response is him responding to a report from Chloe's people with several items. Remember the Lord's Supper. They didn't ask about the Lord's Supper. He said, I'm hearing this. Uh, But the very first thing he had heard was that there were divisions. Okay? Paul planted the church. He's been gone for a little bit, and some of them are saying, we don't follow Paul. We follow this other guy, Apollos, Cephas, Jesus. That's debated whether they really had a group following Jesus or not. Sometimes I wonder. But Paul, knowing that, goes on to say in the early part of 1 Corinthians, I, I did not come with lofty acts of speech. That's what they wanted. If I were Paul, thankfully I'm not, and I would have done everything I could to respond to that letter, to that report, mustering up all the rhetorical skills I could muster. Paul was trained by uh, Gamaliel, if that's how you say it, uh, brilliant. He could have just mustered the greatest rhetorical paper tiger and sent it into their hands and won the debate. But he doesn't do it. Why? Because of grace. So I was wondering this week why I I kind of have wished that Paul's prior to Christianity life was lazy. Because then the gospel came and he became this active guy. And that'd give me hope, right? Um, Or I wished that maybe he would go from being this workaholic Pharisee, the gospel comes, and then he's a little bit chill, kind of relaxed, doesn't get a lot accomplished, but he rests in Jesus. But not, that's not what happens. In some ways you wonder, well, there wasn't really a change. You were exceedingly successful and active, he tells us in Philippians 3, uh, you know, zealous to the law, Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, persecutor. And then he came to Christ, and he was still very successful, right? Except there's a major, major, major change. And you see it in this passage. Look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In Philippians, when he tells you his pedigree, his resume, he is putting out there what he used to do. He used to walk around with his resume. Do any of you do that? Oh, you don't know who I am? Let me tell you who I am. Now, we don't do it like that, but we do it on our social media. We do it with our clothing. We do it with our cars. We do it with our style. We do it with our friendships, our social circles, our education goals, our career goals. There's a million ways we let the world know we have it together. I'm a guy you want to get to know. Paul, when he gets the gospel, walks up and says, I'm probably the last guy you're going to ever want to know. Oh, no, Paul, you're probably great. You you think I'm great? I kill people like you. Just a few years ago, 15 years ago, you'd be dead right now. What changed? The gospel. He became aware of the fact that his identity was not in his conduct. He says, the grace of God came. I am what I am. And now he can say, I'm the least of the apostles. That is a very, very risky thing to tell the Corinthians. Because they might just go, there, he said it. I'm certainly not following him. Case closed. Bring on the other guy. He says it. I'm the least of the apostles. Elsewhere, what does he say? I'm the least of God's people. That's the gospel at work. And at one place he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul knows that apart from Christ, he can do nothing. He stands on the gospel. 
He goes on to say, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Sounds like a boast. But then he says very clearly, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So whether it was I that preached or whether they preached, it doesn't matter. What matters is this. You believed. The gospel is at work. And that's all I care about. That is a life that's been transformed by the gospel. That is a person who stands in the gospel, who received the gospel, and who now is being saved by the gospel. Just a clarification. It doesn't mean that you may or may not be saved. That is the the New Testament talking about sanctification often uses that term, that you are longing for the final glorification in Christ. But here's the question, like, what happened? Um, Why did Paul, like, how did this happen? And I was was looking at um, 2 Corinthians 12, and I wanted to just reflect on what I think happened for Paul. He says it here. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that in his conversion, he saw the third heavens. Like, God, he says, whether I was there in body or in, in revelation, I don't know, but I saw heaven. Like, I was transformed by what I saw. So even though Paul didn't see Jesus on earth, he saw him in his throne room, whether in person or through a revelation he doesn't know, but he was, it changed him. And then in verse 7 he says, So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, people love to speculate. Oh, it was eyesight. Maybe. I mean, I don't know that a messenger of Satan give you bad eyesight. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe it was a really difficult temptation he struggled with. But I have met with people who have looked at me with, with tears in their eyes, with a temptation they struggle with, saying, I want this removed. And everything in my heart wants to say, in Jesus, it can be removed. If you walk with Jesus, that temptation can go away. Maybe not. In Christ, you're not guaranteed an easy walk. You're not guaranteed healing from the health issue. You're not guaranteed a removal of a problem or people liking you or a temptation taken away. What you're guaranteed is this. Paul says, I pleaded three times with the Lord. Three times. That's interesting. We plead over and over. I don't know what that means exactly, but he pleaded it three times, and the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's when the gospel is working. Are you okay with your faults? Are you okay with your limitations? Are you so in love with Jesus that you would not defend yourself? Are you so in love with Jesus that you can lay down your, even your righteous acts? Lay them down at his feet. We're not trying to go out and be sinful. We're not trying to go out and act weak. Rather, we're trying to live as those who are no longer a part of this world proving we're not dying. This world's effort is trying to say, I'm not dying. I promise you, I'm not getting old. I'm not dying. I'll do this. I'll do this to prove myself. Christians can say, I'm not dying because of Jesus. I've already died. And I've been risen. And when you die, according to this passage, you fall asleep. Some had fallen asleep. That's what Paul says. They didn't die. They fell asleep. We rejoice at the resurrection. I wasn't planning on it, but I I thought about this week. I was talking to Doug about the passage this week, so sometimes I bring up Doug. It's because we talked through the passage. His mom was not a believer, but she said to him, sometimes 
you Christians uh, befuddle me. You talk so much about the resurrection, but you are more afraid of death than anybody else. And I think we are. And I hope that when we come to this week and we come to this reality, we can begin to confess that before the Lord. Forgive me, Father, for fearing death. Now, I don't necessarily mean the end of your life. I mean the death of a friend unfriending you on Facebook. Or the death of not getting that promotion. Or the death of a scorn. Or the death of an illness. Just the fact that you're no longer as strong as you once were. You had an injury and you aren't the man or the woman you used to be, etc. Those are all forms of a fallen world that we're terrified of. And in Christ, we have nothing to fear. Paul had whatever the thorn in the flesh was. We don't know. But he goes on to say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Is that just Paul? Is that just one guy? He's just kind of this, it's Paul. He's like, he's that guy. No one's going to ever achieve that. Or is it possible that the same Jesus who created that reality for him would create that reality for you? All you have to do is let go of your clinging to this life and rest in Jesus and trust him. He loves you, that he's risen, that he walked with you, his spirit dwells with you, and one day you will see him face to face in glory. And let that drive everything you do. Let's pray. Father, we can't do it. We need you. We can't even cause our own faith to grow. All we can do is just cry out to you, help my unbelief. We believe, but we also struggle with unbelief. Lord, we see what Paul says, and we nod our heads, and we want it, but yet we know we're feeble. Of course we are. We're weak. And I think we're weaker than we even know. In fact, maybe what's going on is we're still trying to go it without you. We're going to give you the credit, but we really do try to live our Christian lives apart from you. Will you forgive us? Will you teach us to fall into your arms, to lay into your bosom, to let you hold us, that we would live in a posture of communion with you? Lord, let us love others. Let us lift our burdens or have them lifted by your reality. Let us be people who actually practice what we preach by walking with you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.